Chapters 15 and 16 of The Angel of Terror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. The Angel of Terror by Edgar Wallace. Chapter 15. A tragic affair in the West End. Mad doctor wounds a burglar in a society woman's bedroom. There was an extraordinary and tragic sequel to the escape of Dr. Thun from Norwood Asylum, particulars of which appeared in our early edition of yesterday. This morning at four o'clock, in answer to a telephone call, Detective Sergeant Miller, accompanied by another officer, went to 84 Cavendish Mansions a flat occupied by Mrs. Meredith, and there found and took into custody Dr. Algernon Thun, who had escaped from the Norwood Asylum. In the room was also found a man named Hoggins, a person well known to the police. It appears that Hoggins had effected an entrance into Mrs. Meredith's flat, descending from the roof by means of a rope, making his way into the premises through the window of Mrs. Meredith's bedroom. Whilst there, he was detected by Mrs. Meredith, who would undoubtedly have been murdered had not Dr. Thun, who, in some mysterious manner, had gained admission to the flat, intervened. In the struggle that followed, the doctor, who was suffering from the delusion of persecution, severely wounded the man, who was not expected to live. He then turned his attention to the lady. Happily, an old man who works at the flat was sleeping on the premises at the time and was roused by the sound of the struggle and succeeded in releasing the lady from the maniacal grasp of the intruder. The wounded burglar was removed to the hospital and the lunatic was taken to the police station and was afterwards sent under a strong guard to the asylum from whence he had escaped. He made a rambling statement to the police to the effect that General Foch had assisted his escape and had directed him into the home of his persecutors. Jean Briggerland put down the paper and laughed. It is nothing to snigger about, growled Briggerland savagely. If I didn't laugh, I should do something more emotional, said the girl coolly. To think that that fool should go back and make the attempt single-handed. I never imagined that. Fair tells me he's not expected to live said Mr. Briggerland. He rubbed his bald head irritably. I wonder if that lunatic is going to talk. What does it matter if he does? said the girl impatiently. You said the other day, he began. The other day it mattered, my dear father. Today nothing matters very much. I think we have got well out of it. I ignored all the lessons which my textbook teaches when I entrusted work to other hands. Jacks, she said softly. Eh? said the father. I'm repeating a well-beloved name. She smiled and rose, folding her serviette. I am going for a long run in the country. Would you like to come? Morden is very enthusiastic about the new car, the bill for which, by the way, came in this morning. Have we any money? A few thousands said her father, rubbing his chin. Jean, we shall have to sell something unless things brighten. Jean's lips twitched, but she said nothing. On her way to the open road, she called at Cavendish Mansions, and was neither surprised nor discomfited to discover that Jack Glover was there. 
"'My dear,' she said, warmly clasping both the girl's hands in hers. "'I was so shocked when I read the news. How terrible it must have been for you!' Lydia was looking pale, and there were dark shadows under her eyes, but she treated the matter cheerfully. "'I have just been trying to explain to Mr. Glover what happened. Unfortunately, the wonderful Jags is not here. He knows more about it than I, for I collapsed in the most feminine way.' "'How did he get in? I mean this madman,' asked the girl. "'Through the door.' It was Jack who answered. "'It is the last way in the world a lunatic would enter a flat, isn't it? He came in with a key, and he was brought here by somebody who struck a match to make sure it was the right number.' "'He must have struck the match himself,' said Jean. "'But you're so clever that you would not say a thing like that unless you had proof.' "'We found two matches in the hall outside,' said Jack. "'And when Dr. Thun was searched, no matches were found on him. "'And I have since learned that, like most homicidal lunatics, "'he had a horror of fire in any form. "'The doctor to whom I have been talking is absolutely sure "'that he would not have struck the match himself.' "'Oh, and by the way, Miss Briggerland, your father met this unfortunate man. "'I understand he paid a visit to the asylum a few days ago?' "'Yes, he did,' she answered without hesitation. "'He was talking about him this morning. "'You see, father has been making a tour of the asylums. "'He is writing a book about such things. "'Father was horrified when he heard the man had escaped "'because the doctor told him that he was a particularly dangerous lunatic.' "'But who would have imagined he would have turned up here?' "'Her big, sad eyes were fixed on Jack as she shook her head in wonder. "'If one had read that in a book, one would have never believed it, would one?' "'And the man Hoggins,' said Jack, who did not share her wonder. "'He was, by way of being an acquaintance of yours, a member of your father's club, wasn't he?' she knit her brows i don't remember the name but if he is a very bad character she said with a little smile i should say distinctly that he was a member of father's club poor daddy i don't think he will ever regenerate the east end i don't think he will agreed jack heartily the question is whether the east end will ever regenerate him a slow smile dawned on her face. "'How unkind,' she said, mockery in her eyes now. "'I wonder why you dislike him so. He is so very harmless, really.' "'My dear,' she turned to the girl with a gesture of helplessness, "'I am afraid that even in this affair Mr. Glover is seeing my sinister influence.' "'You're the most unsinister person I have ever met, Jean.' laughed Lydia, and Mr. Glover doesn't really think all these horrid things. Doesn't he? said Jean softly, and Jack saw that she was shaking with laughter. There was a certain deadly humor in the situation which tickled him too, and he grinned. I wish to heaven you'd get married and settle down, Miss Briggerland, he said incautiously. It was her chance. She shook her head. The lips drooped. The eyes again grew moist with the pain she could call to them at will. I wish I could, 
she said in a tone a little above a whisper. But, Jack, I could never marry you. Never. She left Jack Glover bereft of speech, totally incapable of arousing so much as a moan. Lydia, returning from escorting her visitor to the door, saw his embarrassment and checked his impulsive explanation a little coldly. I... I believed you when you said it wasn't true, Mr. Glover, she said, and there was a reproach in her tone for which she hated herself afterwards. End of chapter 15 Chapter 16 Lydia had promised to go to the theater that night with Mrs. Cole Mortimer, and she was glad of the excuse to leave her tragic home. Mrs. Cole Mortimer, who was not lavish in the matter of entertainments that cost money, had a box, and although Lydia had seen the piece before, it was, in fact, the very play she had attended to sketch dresses on the night of her adventure. It was a relief to sit in silence, which her hostess, with singular discretion, did not attempt to disturb. It was during the last act that Mrs. Cole Mortimer gave her an invitation which she accepted joyfully. "'I've got a house at Cap Martin,' said Mrs. Cole Mortimer. "'It is only a tiny place, but I think you would rather like it. "'I hate going to the Riviera alone, "'so if you care to come as my guest, "'I shall be most happy to chaperone you. "'They are bringing my yacht down to Monaco, "'so we ought to have a really good time.' Lydia accepted the yacht and the house as she accepted the invitation, without question. That the yacht had been chartered that morning, and the house hired by telegram on the previous day, she could not be expected to guess. For all she knew, Mrs. Cole Mortimer might be a very wealthy woman, and in her wildest dreams she did not imagine that Jean Briggerland had provided the money for both. It had not been a delicate negotiation, because Mrs. Cole Mortimer had the skin of a pachyderm. Years later, Lydia discovered that the woman lived on borrowed money, money which never could and never would be repaid, and which the borrower had no intention of refunding. A hint dropped by Jean that there was somebody on the Riviera whom she desired to meet, without her father's knowledge, accompanied by the plain statement that she would pay all expenses, was quite sufficient for Mrs. Cole Mortimer and she had fallen in with her patron's views as readily as she had agreed to pose as a friend of Meredith's. To do her justice, she had the faculty of believing in her own invention, and she was quite satisfied that James Meredith had been a great personal friend of hers, just as she would believe that the house on the Riviera and the little steam yacht had been procured out of her own purse. It was harder for her, however, to explain the great system which she was going to work in Monte Carlo, and which was to make everybody's fortune. Lydia, who was no gambler, and only mildly interested in games of chance, displayed so little evidence of interest in the scheme that Mrs. Cole Mortimer groaned her despair, not knowing that she was expected to do no more than stir the soil for the crop which Jean Briggerland would plant and reap. They went on to supper at one end of the clubs, and Lydia thought with amusement of poor old Jags, who apparently took his job very seriously indeed. Again, her angle of vision had shifted, and her respect for the old man had overcome any annoyance his uncouth presence brought her. 
as she alighted at the door of the club she looked round half expecting to see him the club entrance was up a side street off leicester square an ill-lit thoroughfare which favored mr jaggs's retiring methods but there was no sign of him and she did not wait in the drizzling night to make any closer inspection mrs cole mortimer had not disguised the possibility of jean briggerland being at the club and they found her with a gay party of young people sitting in one of the recesses jean made a place for the girl by her side and introduced her to a half a dozen people whose names lydia did not catch and never afterwards remembered mr marcus stepney however that sleek dark man who bowed over her hand and seemed as though he were going to kiss it she had met before and her second impression of him was even less favorable than the first do you dance asked jean a jazz band was playing an infectious two-step at the girl's nod jean beckoned one of her party a tall handsome boy who throughout the subsequent dance babbled into lydia's ear an incessant praise of jean briggerland lydia was amused oh of course she is very beautiful she said in an answer to an interminable repetition of his question i think she is lovely that's what i say said the young man whom she discovered was lord stoker the most amazingly beautiful creature on the earth i think of course you're awfully good-looking too he blundered and lydia laughed aloud but she's got enemies said the young man viciously and if i ever meet that infernal cad glover he'll be sorry the smile left lydia's face uh, mr glover is a friend of mine she said a little quickly uh sorry he mumbled but does miss briggerland say he is so very bad of course not she never says a word against him really his lordship hastened to exonerate his idol she, she just says that she doesn't know how long she's going to stand his persecutions it breaks one's heart to see how sad this your friend makes her lydia was a very thoughtful girl for the rest of the evening she was beginning in a hazy way to see things which she had not seen before of course jean never said anything against jack glover and yet she had succeeded in arousing this youth to fury against the lawyer and lydia realized with a sense of amazement that jean also had made her feel bad about jack and yet she had said nothing but sweet things when she got back to the flat that night she found mr jaggs had not been there all the evening he came in a few minutes after her wrapped up in an old army coat and from his appearance she gathered that he had been standing out in the rain and sleet the whole of the evening why jaggs she said impulsively wherever have you been just dodging round miss he grunted having a little look at the ducks in the pond you've been outside the theater and you've been waiting outside nairo's club she said accusingly don't know it miss he said one theater is as much like another one to me you must take your things off and let mrs morgan dry your clothes she insisted but he would not hear of this compromising only with stripping his sodden great coat he disappeared into his dark room there to ruminate upon such matters as appeared of interest to him a bed had been placed for him 
but only once had he slept on it. After the flat grew still and the last click of the switch told that the last light had been extinguished, he opened the door softly, and, carrying a chair in his hand, he placed this gently with its back to the front door, and there he sat and dozed throughout the night. When Lydia woke the next morning, he was gone as usual. End of chapter 16